Chapter Four, Part Two of the Markets of Paris by Emile Zola. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chickweed for the little birds, Part Two. High above his head hung fat geese and dead rabbits with frightened eyes. Pigeons and ducks, as yet unplucked, were on the counter. Three superb turkeys, specked with blue, like a chin that has been freshly shaved, lay on their backs, while in plates were the livers, hearts, and gizzards, claws, necks, and pinions. Marjolin, among all this food, with his smooth, glossy skin, looked as if he too were good to eat. When he saw la belle Lisa, he started from his lounging position. He was always more or less timid in her presence, and stammered in reply to her question that he did not know where Monsieur Gavard was. He had been there an hour before, but had gone away, without saying when he would return. She stooped to caress a rabbit in a box, saying as she did so, "'Do you not think you could find him?' "'He may be in the poultry-rooms in the cellar,' answered Marjolin. "'I will wait for him, then,' said Lisa. "'Or, better still, why can't I go down there? I have wanted to go for five years, and you will show me the way, will you not?' the youth stammered forth a confused expression of willingness to do anything she desired but the heavy air of the cellar suffocated la belle charcutière she stood on the steps and looked up at the arched ceiling and at the heavy columns she hesitated on account of the penetrating odour the exhalation from living creatures which scorched her throat with their alkalis the smell is horrible she said it would not be healthy to live here i am perfectly well madame said marjolin much astonished the smell is not so bad when one is accustomed to it she followed him saying that the smell disgusted her with fowls and she should not want to eat any for two months the poultry-houses stood in straight lines with occasional gas-lights between and the aspect was that of a village at midnight when all its inhabitants are asleep at each corner was a long blue board on which were inscribed the names of the tenants monsieur gavard is away at the back said the young man they turned into a dark corner but no gavard was to be seen never mind madame i will show you the fowls myself for i have a key la belle lisa followed and stumbled against him if you think she said that i can see anything in this darkness you are very much mistaken he did not reply instantly but at last stammered that there was always a candle inside that he could light but he fumbled a long time over the lock she tried to assist him and felt his breath hot on her neck when he lighted the candle she saw that his hands trembled simpleton she cried the idea of getting into such a state of excitement because a door can't be opened i should think you were a nervous girl gavard had hired two compartments and made them into one poultry room by taking away the partitions turkeys geese and ducks were picking in the dung heaps while on shelves built in three rows one above another were boxes with gratings over them containing chickens and rabbits the place was incredibly dirty and hung with grey spiders webs but lisa was too civil to show her disgust she looked into the boxes and compassionated the poor chickens who were shut out from the light of day and could not even stand and move about the young man showed her a duck whose leg was broken and said they should kill him that evening for fear he would die during the night but she said when do they eat he explained that they did not eat without light and that he or gavard was obliged to light a candle and wait until the creatures had got through their meals i like to watch them he continued it is droll to see them fight sometimes i shade the light with my hand and they stand perfectly still 
and then put their heads under their wings as if the sun had set it is against the regulations to go away and leave a light here one of the poultry women nearly set the place on fire the other day your poultry require a good deal of waiting on said lisa if they must have a candle lighted for each meal as she spoke she passed out of the room raising her skirts from out of the filth he blew out the candle and locked the door she hurried on not liking to be left with this youth in the darkness when he joined her she said i am glad to have seen this there are certainly many odd things under the hall i am very much obliged but i must hurry home now if m gavard comes in pray tell him that i must speak to him at once he is probably at the abattage answered marjolin let us go and see she did not reply the close air of the place made her very uncomfortable and it annoyed her to have marjolin so close to her he breathed hard too as if the air affected him also she stepped back a little and motioned to him to precede her she fancied that her companion guided her in a very roundabout way when they came out in front of the underground railway he told her that he wanted to show it to her they stood for a few moments looking through the beams of the protecting wall on their way back they found mother palette in front of her poultry house taking the cords off a large basket from which a furious noise of wings and claws were heard when she loosened the last knot the geese within raised the cover with their powerful heads and escaped running and flying with loud hisses which resounded through the arched cellar lisa could not help laughing while the poultry woman swore like a pirate and succeeded in catching two while marjolin started in pursuit of a third he was heard running at full speed laughing and much amused by this unlooked-for frolic then there was a sound of a struggle and he soon returned with the bird mother palette an old yellow woman took it and held it for a moment in the position of the antique leda i don't know i am sure what i should have done marjolin if you had not been here the other day i fought with one but i had my knife and cut its throat at last marjolin was all out of breath and lisa caught a strange light in his eyes as together they reached the abattage generally he dropped his eyes when she spoke to him for the first time she realized his superb beauty his square shoulders and his bright complexion and blond hair she looked at him with the frank admiration which women often fearlessly evince toward very young men he became once more timid and embarrassed you see that m gavard is not here she said and i am wasting my time he explained to her the abattage showed her the huge blocks of stone lighted by gas one woman was plucking chickens which led him to say that they often plucked them alive because it was so much easier he told her to take up a handful of the feathers which were piled up there and said they were sold at nine sous the pound she put her hand into the baskets of down he called her attention to the water faucets at each pillar and told her that all spots of blood were washed up every two hours by men whose especial duty it was he added that in great rainstorms the water often invaded these cellars once to the height of three centimetres on which occasion he was obliged to take all his poultry to the upper end he laughed as he described the fright of the creatures he finished by showing her the ventilators which carried off all bad odours this seemed to her a ridiculous thing to say so thoroughly was the air impregnated by the ammoniated smell of the guano marjolin seemed in a state of suppressed excitement and was no longer timid you are a good boy said la belle lisa to have shown me all this when you come to my shop i will give you something forgetting his age and remembering only that she had known him since his babyhood 
she took him by the chin as she spoke if her hand lingered it was unconsciously though she was by no means as calm as usual herself he at this caress glanced quickly around assured himself that no one was near and caught la belle lisa by the waist and threw her into a huge crate of feathers she pale and trembling at this brutal attack sprang up and raised her large round arms and struck a blow just such as she had seen struck at the abattoir fair between the eyes he fell and his head struck one of the stones at this moment a cock crowed loudly la belle lisa was chilled through and through her lips were white over her head she heard the dull roar of the halle through the gratings came the street sounds and she thought that only the strength of her own arms had saved her she shook off the feathers that had adhered to her skirts fearing to be seen and without a glance at marjolin she hurried to the staircase daylight and the fresh air were a great relief she entered her shop perfectly calm and only a little paler than usual where have you been so long said quenu looking for gavard she answered quietly i could not find him and we must eat our leg of mutton without him she filled up several pots with lard prepared some chops for her friend madame taboureau whose little servant was waiting as she broke the bones with her mallet she thought of marjolin lying in the cellar but felt no pang of self-reproach she had only done her duty she looked at quenu he certainly was very plain and his skin was very rough and his chin far from velvety while the skin and the chin of the other were like down she said to herself with a sigh that it was a pity for children to grow up so fast quenu was struck by her beauty you ought to go out oftener he said if you wish we will go to the theatre sometimes to the gaiete where madame taboureau saw that play she liked so much lisa smiled and said she would see and then went out again quenu thought she was very good to run after gavard in that way but she had only gone upstairs to florent's room the key of which hung on a nail in the kitchen she hoped as she could not get hold of gavard to make some discoveries here she went about the room examined the bed and looked at the mantel-shelf the window was open and the plants were drinking in the soft air she could not find the smallest trace of florent's presence she was astonished at this she touched augustine's dress still hanging in the corner and then took a seat at the table reading a half-finished page in which the word revolution occurred several times she was frightened at this and opened the drawer which she saw was full of papers she sat looking at them when the bird uttered a long shrill cry she started and realized the ignominy of the act she was about to commit she closed the drawer she went to the window and standing there said to herself that she would take counsel of the abbe roustan a man of good sound sense as she mechanically looked down on the square below she beheld cadine weeping in the centre of a crowd while florent and claude were talking earnestly together a little apart she hurried downstairs surprised at their speedy return hardly was she established behind her counter than mademoiselle saget entered saying come and see poor marjolin madame he was found in the cellar unconscious and a great gash cut in his head lisa hurried across the street the youth lay with his eyes closed and his fair hair stained with blood someone among the crowd said it was nothing that it was his own fault that he was always foolhardy and jumping over the tables at the abattage this was one of his favorite amusements and he had undoubtedly fallen in that way mademoiselle saget pointed to the weeping cadine probably that little scamp pushed him they are always in mischief 
Marjolin, revived by the fresh air, opened his eyes. He caught sight of Lisa's face bending over him and smiled faintly. He did not seem to remember anything that had taken place. Lisa said calmly that he ought to be taken at once to the hospital. She would go and see him and carry him some delicacies. He was put on a litter and Cadine followed it, still with her wicker tray suspended around her neck and her bunches of violets stuck into the moss which she watered with her hot tears. As Lisa entered her shop, she heard Claude say to Florent as they were separating, "'That boy has spoiled my day, but we did have a good time.' Claude and Florent had indeed brought back with them something of the fresh air of the country. That morning, before daybreak, they went to find Madame Francois, who had just sold her last vegetable. They then, the three together, went to the Compadre in the Rue Montorgueil for the wagon. This was almost a foretaste of the country.' Behind the restaurant Philippe, whose gorgeous gilding illuminated the entire lower floor, was a regular farmyard, smelling of fresh straw and warm dung. Young chickens and hens picked the soft earth, stalls and sheds of all sorts and sizes were built against the neighboring houses. Balthazar, all harnessed, was eating his oats comfortably under shelter. He was, nevertheless, quite ready to return to Nanterre, but he did not go back unloaded. The market-woman had made a bargain with the company who had contracted to keep the hall clean. She carried home with her, three times in the week, a load of refuse taken up with a pitchfork from the heap swept together in the centre of the square, which was a valuable addition to her manure heap. Claude and Florent lay on the coarse sheet she spread over these green leaves. Madame Francois took the reins, and Balthazar started forth, his head a little low on the account of the unusual burthen he carried. This visit had been long talked of. The market-woman was as gay as a lark. She liked the two men, and promised them such a breakfast as they had never eaten in that miserable place, Paris, and they enjoyed the prospect of the long idle day before them. "'Are you comfortable?' asked Madame Francois as she turned into la Rue Pont-Neuf. "'Yes, as cosy as two peas in a pod,' answered Claude gaily. He lay on his back, watching the stars paling in the sky and the growing light in the east. They listened to the good woman talking to Balthazar. "'Take your ease, old fellow,' she said softly. "'We are in no such great hurry.' They reached the Champs-Élysées, and the painter saw trees on either side, and beyond the green mass of the gardens of the Tuileries. As they passed the Rue du Roule, he looked at the side door of Saint-Eustache in the distance. "'Do you know,' he said suddenly, "'that iron is destined to kill stone?' It is not by accident that we see Saint-Eustache through one of the long avenues of Les Halles. It is a fatality. It is modern art, realism, nature, whatever you may choose to call it, which has grown up in the face of ancient art. You do not agree with me? As Florent did not speak, he continued, This church is not a pure architecture. The Moyen-Age is dying in it, and the Renaissance is not yet on its feet. But have you noticed the churches which are built in these times? They are like observatories, libraries, hospitals, like anything, in fact, but churches. And it would be difficult to convince me that le bon Dieu looks upon them as suitable. The masons who loved him are dead, and it would be wiser not to erect any more of these ugly constructions. Since the beginning of this century but one original monument has been built, the natural outgrowth of the epoch, and this is the Halle. These markets, I tell you, are a timid revelation of the spirit of the twentieth century, 
and this is why St. Eustache is nearly obscured. There it stands empty, while the Halles have grown up around it, crowded with life. Look at Balthazar, said Madame Francois, laughing. The woman who brought you safely into the world earned her money, for you make even animals listen to you when you speak. The carriage went slowly on. At this early hour the avenue was deserted. There were no rows of chairs on the sidewalk, and the turf lay dark under the trees. At the rond-point, a lady and gentleman on horseback passed, and Florent closed his eyes the better to enjoy the sweetness of the fresh breeze. He was happy in getting away from the Halles, happy to breathe an air uncontaminated by the smell of food. They say, continued Claude, that industry kills poetry, and the fools weep over flowers as if any one proposed to hurt the flowers. These people fret me to death. I want to answer their moans by a work which they must needs accept as a defiance. It would amuse me to startle these good people a little. Shall I tell you the thing which pleases me best of all I have ever done in my life? It is quite a story. Last year on Christmas Eve, I was at my Aunt Lisa's, and that goose of a fellow Auguste was dressing the shop windows and the counters. I looked on until I could bear it no longer, and told him I would do it myself. You see, I had all the strong colors I required. The red of the tongues, the yellow of the small hams, blue in the paper, pink in the delicate slices which were cut, green in the carrot and lettuce leaves, and such a black as I could never find on my palette in the blood puddings. The sausages, chitterlings, and breaded pig's feet gave me delicious tones of gray. I made a superb thing of it. I took my dishes, plates, jars, and bottles, and massed them together. I arrayed the tongues so that they looked like scarlet flames, and a large truffled turkey lay in the center. I tell you it was simply superb, and the crowd that gathered before the window thought the same. But Aunt Lisa, when she appeared, was quite shocked, and bade Auguste arrange the window as usual. And, of course, he did not grasp the idea of the reds being brought out by the greys, and, of course, it was hopeless to try and make him see it. Never mind, it was the best thing I ever did. Claude sank into silence, smiling at his thoughts. The wagon had reached the Arc de Triomphe. The wind blew strongly down the various open avenues around the immense square. Florent leaned out and drank in the breath of the green grass which blew toward him from the fortifications. At the top of la rue de Longchamp, Madame Francois showed him the place where she had picked him up. He fell into a deep reverie, and as he looked at the market-woman, he thought her look of health and benignant sweetness of expression made her more beautiful than Lisa. When they reached Nanterre, the carriage turned to the left and entered a narrow lane running along the walls, and stopped in an enclosure from which there was no outlet. It was the end of the world, the market-woman said. There they were to leave their load of cabbage leaves and green stuff. Claude and Florent bade the boy who was planting out lettuce to go on with his work, while they, armed with pitchforks, threw out the heap. This amused them, and Claude had a good deal to say about the refuse from the market being sent back again, in the form of new generations of vegetables and fruits. Paris consumed everything, returned everything to the earth, which in due time repaired all damages. "'There is a cabbage stump which I recognize,' said Claude, as he took up the last on his pitchfork. This is the tenth time, at the very least, that it has grown up in that corner by the apricot tree. Florent laughed, but his smiles faded as he walked on. 
claude was making a sketch and madame francois was preparing breakfast this garden was a long narrow strip from the extremity of which he could see the low casemates of mont valerien which were divided by row after row of evergreen hedges from the little garden of madame francois a great peace brooded over the landscape the may sunshine had brought out insect life and a gentle humming of bees fell upon the stillness the garden was laid off in squares sorrel and spinach radishes carrots and beets cabbages and potatoes stood in regular lines while peas and beans were sunning out their slender tendrils not a weed was to be seen the ground looked as if it were swept every morning borders of thyme put a grey fringe to the two sides of the wide path florent enjoyed this breath of thyme brought out by the hot sun he loved the country and all growing things for a year he had seen none except those torn from the ground he liked to see the vegetables here whole and hearty the cabbages were luxuriant the carrots were gay and the salads looked contented and crisp the markets which he had left behind him he looked back upon as a vast cemetery where only dead things lay the noise and the smell of the fish market seemed to him a thing of the past yes claude was right the earth was life the cradle and the health of the world your omelette is ready cried the market woman from the door when the three sat round the table with the sunshine streaming in at the open door they were all so gay that madame francois looked at florent in astonishment i declare she said you are ten years younger your eyes have a laugh in them that i never saw there before you ought not to live in a city come and live here but claude interfered he said that paris was superb he even defended the gutters although he admitted that he adored the country in the afternoon florent and madame francois were alone in a corner of the garden where a few fruit trees were planted she was giving him some maternal advice she asked him what he meant to do with himself and her questions evidently arose from friendly interest with no admixture of curiosity he was deeply touched for no woman had ever before shown so much interest in him she reminded him of a healthy out-of-door plant while lisa claire and la normande were doubtful and arranged for sale so to speak about five o'clock the two men started for paris they were going to walk and madame francois went to the end of the lane with them she there took florent's hand come here she said if you are ever in sorrow for a half hour florent walked on in silence feeling that he left health safety and happiness behind him the road was white with dust clouds of which arose each time they brought their feet down the sun was low and their shadows stretched far upon the opposite sidewalk claude with swinging arms took long regular strides and looked at their shadows then arousing himself as if from a dream he said do you know the battle of the fat and the lean florent said no in some surprise whereupon claude went off into an enthusiastic praise of this series of engravings he described certain ones the fat men enormously stout preparing for their evening gourmandizing while the thin men bowed by fasting looked in from the street with covetous eyes and then again the fat ones at table with cheeks stuffed full dismissing a lean one who had been audacious enough to enter and who looked like a needle among bullets he saw in this the drama of human life and ended by classifying men into the fat and the lean natural enemies where the one devoured the other you may be sure he said that cain was fat and abel thin 
ever since the first murder there has always been a constant battle of the strong against the weak each swallowing his neighbour and being swallowed in turn so look out my boy distrust fat people as a rule he relapsed into silence and watched their shadows we are the thin ones you see tell me as flat as we are with no bellies to speak of ought we to claim much sunshine florent smiled but claude was in earnest you may laugh he continued but it is no laughing matter if i were fat i should paint quietly have a fine studio and sell my pictures for their weight in gold instead of that i am thin and when i die i shall probably be put between two leaves of a book instead of having a coffin bought in which to bury me decently as would be the case were i double my weight but you are worse than i you are really the king of lean men do you remember the day you quarrelled with the fishwomen it was a magnificent sight their heaving breasts and broad shoulders in contrast to your meagre form they acted as i tell you their instinct was to drive the thin man from among them for the fat dislike and distrust the thin and were i you i should act on these suggestions the canoes are fat so are the mahoudans in fact you are surrounded by fat people i should get out of it if i were you and gavard mademoiselle saget and your friend marjolin what of them asked florent still smiling oh i will classify all your acquaintances if you say so i have had every one of their heads in my portfolio for a long time with the indication of the order to which they belong it is a chapter of natural history gavard is a fat man but wishes to be included among the thin that is quite a common variety mademoiselle saget and madame lecoeur are thin and much to be feared as they are ready to commit any enormity in order to be enrolled among the fat while marjolin cadine and la serviette are among the fat but they are as yet so young that their worst qualities are not developed it is worthy of remark that the young belonging to the fat class are altogether charming your political acquaintances of course are among the thin the painter rambled on in this way all the way from the pont de neuilly to the arc de triomphe but where do you place madame francois said florent finally claude was considerably embarrassed by this question he hesitated madame francois madame francois no i do not know just where to place her she is a good woman and that is enough they both laughed at this moment they stood before the arc de triomphe the sun was so low in the horizon that their colossal shadows fell upon the monument higher even than the enormous statues like two dark stains see here cried claude as he took his friend's arm if we go on like this when the sun has set our two heads will touch the sky but florent laughed no more paris had reabsorbed him that paris which ever since his sojourn at cayenne he had regarded with terror and distrust when he reached the halle the smells were suffocating and he bowed his head ready to take up again the burthen of his nightmare haunted by a longing for the country and the breath of time End of chapter four